Hello, I am Alex Hannaford and this is The Innocence. Hello, I'm producer Pete. This is the final episode of The Innocence. And who are we talking to, Alex? We're talking to my friend John Hardin. If you listen to the first episode of The Innocence, uh, it was with an interview with Jason Baldwin, who was one of the West Memphis Three. And John was part of the team that helped free Jason. Now, it's an interesting story he talks about. So after Jason was released, and you imagine all the time that it took, the legal wrangling and all the rest of it, to get these people out of prison. It wasn't until Jason was actually a free man that, that, that John met him in person. So they conspired to do something more concrete about wrongful conviction more generally going forward. And they started Proclaim Justice together. They did, to help free other victims of the criminal justice system. So for those who listened to Dead Man Talking, which was the first podcast we made on the Huddled Masses stream, if you haven't, go back to the beginning. The first episode is called The Tape. And listen now, you'll remember John Hardin. He featured in Dead Man Talking, and I meet him towards the end of uh, our investigation into the potential wrongful conviction of Diamantina Colahaco and her former boyfriend, Andres Mascaro. And he and Proclaim Justice agreed to take the case on. So as a result, me and, me and John sort of got to know each other very well. But you don't just talk to John about Proclaim Justice, do you? You, you talk to him about all kinds of things around criminal justice. Before he co-founded Proclaim Justice, which, by the way, we sometimes refer to as PJ in the interview, uh, and became a licensed private investigator, John actually spent his career in political and public affairs consulting. So in the interview, he talks about the motivation for dedicating his life to freeing the wrongfully convicted. And as I said, he's become a good friend. I think it's a really powerful interview and a really great ending to the series. A brief word from one of our sponsors. One thing we learned in 2020, the internet is even more useful than we thought. Groceries online, movies online, doctor visits online, and of course, going to the post office online with stamps.com. Stamps.com allows businesses to do all of their mailing and shipping right from their computer. No need to leave their home or office or home office. Stamps.com has saved small businesses all over the country thousands of hours and tons of money, and now you can too. With Stamps.com, you get the service of the post office and UPS right on your computer, plus big discounts on mailing and shipping rates. It's really simple. Stamps.com basically brings all the services of the US Postal Service and UPS right to your computer wherever you are. Simply use your computer to print official US postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail's ready, just schedule a pickup or drop off and it really is that simple. With stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. There's no risk. And with my promo code MASSES, as in huddled masses, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. So there's no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in masses. (laughs) 
So, um, just so everyone's listening to this, they've heard your name mentioned a bit during the series because uh, of Proclaimed Justice. But I thought before we begin, you could give us a quick, just a quick background on how you got involved in criminal justice reform and, and sort of wrongful conviction. I came from a career of political and legislative consulting, whether that was issue advocacy or political campaigns, helping run those working for a longtime congressman in central Arkansas, where I'm from. So politics and legislation is, is what my career background is. But I became aware of the West Memphis Three case. Being an Arkansan, you could not be from that state and not be aware of that case. Known as the West Memphis Three, the men were teenagers in 1994 when they were convicted of killing three eight-year-old boys in the town of West Memphis, Arkansas. Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. Investigators in this rural community believe that the teenagers killed the children as part of a satanic ritual. The guys are more or less my age, the three wrongly convicted, and I got involved in that case just from afar through donating to the defense fund, raising awareness how I could. Moved back to Arkansas for four years and became a, a you know, an important part of the defense team. I hate to use that, that word. It makes me sound uh, maybe more important than I am. But we got those guys out. And once we got them out, I just wanted to keep doing innocence work and criminal justice work instead of politics and legislation. So Jason and I started Proclaim Justice. So that's how I became involved in innocence work in particular. How did that happen? I mean, Jason had just been through years and years and years of, you know, the most horrendous thing that ever happened to him. And here he is kind of saying, actually, I want to devote the rest of my life to helping other people do this as well. Well, let me start back. Jason and I actually had not met face to face until the night they got out of prison. Oh, wow. But we knew each other through reputation and through mutual friends. And he immediately took off to Seattle I was still involved in politics and legislation, and the idea of starting an investigative innocence project came to me. And so I flew out to Seattle and just sat down and talked with him and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. This probably would have been eight, nine, 10 months after he was out of prison. This is what I'm thinking about doing. I would love to have your involvement. And so the more he and I talked, we just decided that we would start the organization together. And here we go. And, you know, when I was, me and Pete were brainstorming how to go about doing a series on wrongful conviction, you know, obviously proclaimed justice and their work kind of really factored into this. And one of the keys for me was watching the Daniel Villegas courtroom scene, which you were in. In the District Court of El Paso County, Texas, 409th Judicial District, the state of Texas versus Daniel Villegas, number 940D09328. Verdict form B, we, the jury, find the defendant, Daniel Villegas, not guilty of... This was one of the early cases that PJ took on, I think, after you began, right? Yeah, that's correct. So we, uh, this was one of the very first cases that we involved ourselves in after we officially formed. I knew that it was very obvious that Daniel was an innocent man. So we jumped in and started lending our investigative resources and our financial resources to the case. And that was a big, a big day when Daniel was finally relieved fully of that whole burden, or at least this sort of Damocles hanging over his head of this new trial, you know. And so when we got that not guilty verdict, it was pretty special. Is this history? Do people still get wrongfully convicted for those reasons, giving 
false confessions because of massively lengthy police interviews, threats, all the rest of it. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, the you know, police departments are still heavily trained in what's called the read technique to interrogations. The read technique is designed to get confessions out of people. Now, a lot of them are not false confessions that they get out of people, but a lot of them are. And that's everything from the psychology of, you know, befriending the person, uh, empathizing with the person and becoming pals and promising all these things, lying to the subject of the interrogation, all the way from how the interrogation rooms looked, where is the police, you know, position compared to the person who's being interrogated. All of that is still rampant across the United States. That's probably the most used interrogation training technique throughout the whole country, and it absolutely elicits false confessions to this day. Is there still a lack of, of adequate counsel from people from poorer backgrounds? So they're forced to have a, uh, a state attorney, which, as I say, is not necessarily meaning that the state attorney is bad, but you know they don't may, may not have the money to pay for an investigator or to do a full investigation. A- absolutely. The, the deck is still completely stacked against those that are on a lower socioeconomic scale than others. Good money buys you good representation. Uh, That's just the fact of the matter. And so you get into public defenders like you're talking about. There are so many public defenders who are doing the Lord's work, as we say. They are wonderful people. They are wonderful attorneys. They are dedicated, but they are overworked. They may have on their workload just an insane amount of cases because maybe they're the only one of maybe only two public defenders in in a whole county or a tri-county area or something like that. So even the really good and dedicated ones are almost always completely overworked. They do not have the financial resources to have a private investigator on staff in most cases, and some they do. And they're just completely outmatched by this prosecution apparatus that has all the resources they need to do anything they want to get a conviction. How many projects like Proclaim Justice are there? I mean, you only have the ability to take on a a certain number of cases. So I'm just interested in how many approach letters you get or emails from people saying, hey, look into this case. And what do those people do? What other avenues are there for them? So there are, and I don't know the exact number, but let's call it 40-ish Innocence Project small i, small p, innocence projects um, throughout the country. And we all work well with each other and cheer each other on and and share any kind of advice or resources that we possibly can. That's really not that many considering how many folks we have in prison who are wrongly convicted. Even with that many people or that many organizations working on it, it still scratches the surface. What we do when we receive letters is, uh, unfortunately, our standard reply is your case on its face fits our criteria, but we just do not have the resources right now to pursue it. So here's a list of other innocence projects throughout the country. Feel free to write them and feel free to write us back in six months time with the understanding that our position may not have changed. I suspect that something similar to that is the standard reply for almost every innocence project throughout the country, unfortunately. I guess there are also university criminal justice programs, like we mentioned in Dead Man Talking, that that kind of want to take on projects to at least look into 
even if they're not attorneys and not practicing attorneys to kind of take them from there, but they can do the groundwork. Yeah, these law school clinics do really a great job working on these cases. And in fact, a whole bunch, most innocence projects throughout the country are associated with law clinics at a particular law school. We are not, we're an investigative organization. So that's a difference between us and most other innocence projects. But these law clinics do a great job. And so you've got these you know, eager and highly intelligent law students, amazing law professors that are helping them walk through and solve some of these cases. And boy, I sure applaud their work. I, d- I don't know if the uh, Innocence Project, capital I, capital P, um, still operates this way. I know initially they were only uh, taking on DNA uh, cases. My question about that was with the advances in DNA, if you have an organization that is sort of devoted to exonerations based on retesting this DNA, is it right to say then that y- there are very few cases these days where convictions happen if there is DNA available? Or is that still something that, you know, in 20 years time, we're still going to see appeals based on, please test this evidence or is all evidence tested now? Yeah, we're, we're still going to see appeals on that because, you know, a lot of times the DNA testing in some of these trials is presented incorrectly. Maybe the prosecution is putting forth that, that the results may say something that they don't actually say and the defense doesn't have the expertise to counter that. I am not a DNA expert, but you know, DNA is not just always an open and shut thing. There's often some areas in there that can be presented either way. And oftentimes defense attorneys don't have the resources to hire the expertise to counter what a state's DNA expert is saying. The prosecution is essentially the gatekeeper of what evidence is turned over to the defense team. So, you know, in the United States, the prosecution is supposed to give the defense team any evidence that could possibly be used to either incriminate their client or cast doubt upon the guilt of their client that might help them prove their innocence. The state is really the arbiter of that. And so what we see is the state may hand over certain evidence to the defense, including physical evidence, and say, okay, we're going to test these, and then withhold from the defense that other items found at the crime scene even existed or have been tested or something like that. That's another reason that we're going to see DNA exonerations continue in the future because many prosecutors just cannot, for the life of themselves, behave correctly. So it's a deliberate move, even though the the science is available to them. Absolutely. I mean, you take Tim Howard's case. uh, You know, we had DNA testing in, in that case. Former death row inmate Tim Howard was released from Varner Supermax Prison yesterday afternoon after 20 years in prison, 14 of them on death row. But what we had was the controlled sample, the sample of Tim's DNA that we knew was Tim's because it was taken from him after he was arrested for the crime. Mm. And you compare that, so you put this piece of evidence in a vial with some liquid and you put it in a machine and then you take the evidence from the crime scene and and the same thing, and this machine shakes it, spins it, does agitates it however it does it. And like in Tim's case, what we had was the caps were not put on those things correctly. So the controlled sample that we knew was Tim's went over into the evidence sample. Those notes were written by the lab tech, but the prosecution decided that wasn't important to share with the defense. 
which is absolutely outrageous. Mm. It's fucking outrageous is what it is. And that's really how we got Tim's case overturned. So even though we have DNA, you know, there's still going to be a lot of issues going forward that innocent people are still convicted, even with the advent of DNA as we know it. After years of fighting for freedom, they were released today in a very unusual plea deal. Their freedom comes at a high price. Under the unusual agreement known as an Alford plea, the three men who still say they are innocent had to plead guilty to murder. The other thing we, we've talked about in this, in two cases, we've talked about alpha pleas because certainly in Jason's case, you know, it was a, a big part of the um, the case. And then he, of course, advised Daniel Viegas not to, to take the alpha plea because of everything that that means. You know, it's come up a few times in the series. It's still used, presumably. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's an older case, but you didn't really hear that much about it until the last decade or so as it relates to getting innocent people out of prison. Hmm. So the Alfred plea was something that worked for Jason and them in getting them released, physically released, but they still, you know, walk around as convicted felons. So it's an imperfect thing that causes a lot of anxiety and justified anger, stuff like that when folks do agree to the Alfred plea. It's, it's not fair. The state knows that they've, you know, they've got these inmates between a rock and a hard place. That is, I think, at the heart of this series is the question, what does innocence mean? Or what does it mean to be innocent? Because I remember Anna talking about how she was innocent, she was exonerated, but she still had a criminal record. Out of prison, but still fighting to clear their names. A group of friends who came to be known as the San Antonio Four have been free women for six months now. They spend more than a decade behind bars for a crime they say never happened. And so they must wait a little longer to see if a higher court will clear their names and dismiss these charges. And it took so long long she said to me she, she's out of prison and she's got a job in her brother's auto shop and it happened to be near a school and she had to leave the job because it was close to a school so this idea that you know people think well they got their freedom they're physically free actually there's far more to it and the case of daniel viegas for example you know actually innocent no criminal record and it didn't take daniel long for the anger to set in that look at my siblings that have houses and families and stuff and I can't afford, you know, I've got a job that pays 10 bucks an hour. So, you know, innocence is such a uh, interesting concept. People think that it's all about that moment that you saw in the courtroom with Daniel being found not guilty. Everything from then on is wonderful and happy. Yeah. And that's certainly not always the case. I, you know, you look back, I look back to August 19th of 2011, when Jason and Damien and Jesse were released from prison. And that was a day of celebration. We were all mm. happy and ecstatic about it, but we didn't really understand what that meant for, you know, Jason in particular, you know, the Alfred plea is, is that's a great solution for a lot of people, mm. not speaking for Damien at all, but you know, Damien is okay with the Alfred plea, but he was on death row and, and he had had execution dates set and stuff like that. Yeah. Jason is not, uh, you know, Jason really has a hard time with that Alfred plea and for good reason, because he doesn't walk around truly free. Now, just because his body is not incarcerated does not mean that he is a fully, truly free man. And that's one mm. of the results of this Alfred plea. 
that people take is, is they're not going to be truly in every sense of the word free. We talk about innocence and what that means. You know, we all have this sort of common sense concept of it, but what that means in the, in the criminal justice system is something different. You know, different states define actual innocence in different ways. So there's, there's legal definitions of innocence as well that sometimes may not be as common sense as a lot of us think. As you'll recall, I was sent a Helix sleep mattress earlier on in the series and I found it so comfortable and it's really improved my sleep, particularly during a pandemic when, let's face it, all of our sleep is probably being interrupted by stress. Helix sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Everybody's unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models. Uh, Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size people. I took the Helix quiz and I was matched with a medium mattress with side sleeper support. It's a massive upgrade on what I've been used to. Delivery was fast and easy. It comes vacuum packed. So you just roll it onto your bed, open the packaging and it sort of fills with air and it's soft but really supportive and has really improved my sleep no end. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, order the mattress that you've been matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free, and you don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is brilliant, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 uh, and by GQ and Wired magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com masses, take the two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you a custom mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life and they have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it but you will so helix is offering up to 200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash masses not just the seven people that we've spoken to on this series, but just generally speaking, what are the cases for you, maybe cases that you haven't even worked on, but what are the cases for you that kind of were the most egregious miscarriages of justice, the ones that sort of stick out? Oh, boy, that, that's, that's a great question. And, and you featured some that immediately come to mind. You know, you take the case of, of Jason's case, um, these were three eight-year-old boys that were brutally murdered. They were just playing in their neighborhood. And so then you get this accusation, not only that you're the murderer, but that it's a child sacrifice to Satan and, and all this satanic panic bullshit that swept the nation and much of the world in the mid-80s into the early 90s. The little boys were found in a drainage ditch, mutilated and beaten to death. The crime was believed to be part of a satanic ritual. So their names and faces are plastered all over the country because they had, quote unquote, sacrificed these three eight-year-old boys to Satan. That's a really egregious one because the, the media coverage was international. You get one like Anna Vasquez's. We have worked on, you know, sexual assault cases, and those are really tough. Whenever you have these child victims, and I don't, I'm not saying victims in the sense that they were molested, because oftentimes they were not. They're victims in the sense that whether it's police or other family members went into their heads and made them believe and say that this happened. 
So then they have to deal with the trauma of believing that or lying about it for reasons that were coerced upon them and then coming with the realization that they have locked up somebody for their whole life or for at least some decades and stuff like that. Those are really egregious cases too. So I think the ones that involve children and the ones that the guilt of the person or people is established from the beginning because of sensational media coverage. Do you want to talk about any cases you guys are are working on today? Is there any that you you believe are wrongfully convicted that you're actively trying to help? Yeah, sure. We have one case in Arkansas where two of our clients, Nikki Zingers and her then boyfriend, Daniel Risher, were convicted of murdering Nikki's mother. It was March 8th of 91 when Linda Holly was murdered inside her home. And, you know, I, I think back to Nikki. Nikki has no other family. Her mother was her only family. And so you think of Nikki not only learning that day on that Friday that her mother had died, but she was brutally murdered. And then not only was she brutally murdered, but shortly after the police settle in on this theory that that Nikki and her boyfriend did it, Nikki has to go clean up her mother's blood from this crime scene and then turn around and get convicted. And Nikki is 100% absolutely innocent of this crime, as is Daniel Risher. And so we're working hard on that case. We do have some good science as it relates to blood and DNA that show that the conviction was based largely on the jury believing that blood found on Daniel's jacket and boots and some other items was the victim's blood. That was absolutely improper testimony as, as it relates to luminol, but we know with scientific certainty now that the blood on those boots jacket was, was not even human blood. As Daniel was saying all along, that was deer blood. I'm a hunter. He's, you know, lives in Southwest Arkansas. And so we are making good progress with that. We're investigating, we're getting our legal stuff put together, and we're hoping that we're going to have something in front of the courts by the early part of January. Important question for people listening. I know that a couple of people have kind of messaged us over the course of the series asking how they can get involved. And obviously there's donations. I know Proclaim Justice exists on donations. I think most of these innocence projects need funding from the public to keep going. How else can people get involved? Is writing to the inmates important? Is uncovering some of these stories themselves important? Can they get involved in the investigations? Inmates always want to hear from people. So like on our website, if you go to proclaimjustice.org and you go to our cases section, we do have the addresses for folks who we're working for people to write to them. As I've gotten to know more and more exonerees over the years, it's so clear to me that just a note of encouragement can lift their day from somebody they don't even know, maybe on the other side of the world. Just, I'm thinking of you. I'm sorry this has happened to you but you've got a friend out here. So writing to people who are suffering as victims of wrongful conviction is really more important than what people understand. That's the easiest way, and that's really the way that I point to people. Oftentimes, we'll have like an Amazon wish list. Most of these prisons, you know, it's very limited as to what's allowed to be mailed inside there, and you can't ship an item directly to a person. 
but you can go through Amazon and we build wish lists out for the folks we're working for on items mm. that are approved to be put in there and people can pick something from their Amazon wish list and buy it for that person. That's really a, a big encouragement too. As far as getting involved in the investigations, we're always looking for folks who have an investigative background or a legal background, such as maybe even non-criminal defense attorneys. So uh, we do use volunteers to do investigations mm. if they have experience in the legal system, paralegal, lawyer, or if they're an investigative journalist that wants to help us dig in. For the most part, we don't use volunteers except for folks like that to do the investigations. Mm. Now we do, and we're about to upload a bunch of documents about various cases. Anybody who wants to go to the primary documents, the trial transcripts, all that stuff, and read through them and you know, offer their point of view, you know, crowdsourcing is really important in solving some of these cases. The West Memphis Three, that's largely how, how we made the progress on that one was through crowdsourcing. Um, well, I mean, uh, in Dead Man Talking as well, I mean, it's got, you know, it just made me think it was the law school in South Texas that poured through the original court documents that found this just this one tiny detail about this federal agent who had turned up at a crime scene and it hadn't been allowed in open court. So the jury never heard it. But yet here is this big question mark, which, you know, is something that I know we're, we're kind of looking into, but it's, um, it's crazy. Sometimes the answer is in plain sight. That's right. Sometimes, you know, when you, when you do this work, sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees as it, because, mm. you know, you're, you're so involved in the facts of the case and the theories of the case and maintaining the communications with whether it's our client or their loved ones that, you know, sometimes we talk ourselves into certain theories and it takes us a while to figure out whether or not those are true. And somebody, somebody that's maybe not as intimately involved can just kind of look at that and say, Oh, have you thought about this? And we're like, okay, wow, you're right. We need to look into that more. So that's, that's a good way for internet sleuths, you know, which Mm. I really tremendously value to maybe dig Mm. in if they, if they're inclined to just spend hours and hours and hours going through trial transcripts and stuff like that. Is it is it useful when um to, you know far be it from me to pat myself on my on my own back here, John? But is it useful when true crime series cover cases like Dead Man Talking, Making a Murderer, Serial? Well, I, I would say any of them except for you, maybe Alex. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, of just now tell us what you really think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some great ones out there. No, no, you you know my high regard for you and 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 what you've done on this Kalahako case already. Um, Absolutely, it's helpful when you get intelligent people that are inquisitive people that can, you know, go out and either fully reinvestigate or start the reinvestigation of these these cases and then publicize them. You know, there's a there's a lot of criminal defense attorneys that are still really old school that do not value the use of public relations and education and media Media. and stuff like Mm. that on these cases. And we just don't work with those lawyers because we have seen it in case after case after case where it's helpful. So media attention being on them is very, very important, including, you know, investigative podcasts such as Dead Man Talking. That was an outstanding podcast series and and did a lot of the hard work for us that that's really helped us jump off into our own in- investigation. 
in a lot quicker fashion than we would have been able to otherwise. Well, let's talk about that. So, I mean, I gave the background, sort of the overview of Dead Man Talking and how we met in the beginning in the intro to this episode. But just to sort of go from the big picture to the specific, for those who haven't heard the podcast, we end really on some big big questions and big problems with the conviction of these two people, Diamantina Colahaco and her then boyfriend, Andres Mascaro, who are still in prison to this day for murdering Diamantina's then husband, Daryl, in his Houston home back in the late 90s. The podcast ends without giving too much away, because if people haven't heard it, they can go back and listen to it from the beginning. But it kind of ends with with me meeting John. And John really back then, you know, we're talking a couple of years ago, just said, look, this is very disturbing, very worrying to me. We're going to look into it. But that was sort of the only commitment. And again, without giving sort of too much away now, because because you're in the middle of an investigation, you took it on as a sort of priority case. I mean, you only have to go to the Proclaimed Justice website to see Andres Mascaro's face on there. And obviously, we then had a pandemic, which um, <laughs> has kind of stymied the investigation a bit. But you still have, have been working on it. I wonder if you could sort of bring us up to speed with everything that's been going on since we first met in my living room a couple of years ago. Yeah, sure. So we have taken this on as a priority case. And the lead person in our organization, we've assigned the the best one in the business as far as my money goes, um, an investigator named Danny Waxler, who's really taken on leading out the investigation. We have brought on another lawyer as part of the team, or a lawyer, Mary Catherine Gibbs, who's doing outstanding work with us as well. We've put a lot of financial resources into it and human resources as Danny and I track down old witnesses who we want to talk to. You know, that's the whole process of even finding where they're at now, finding how how to contact them, taking the time to go physically to them and knock on their doors, visit with them. And so we have put a lot of time and, and money into it. We've also sort of a legendary Texas defense attorney named George Parnum in Houston. We brought him onto the case and he's committed to working this case with us. And that's a huge deal. So we are currently investigating. We're finding we're uncovering a lot of very promising things. Uh, I'll be very reluctant to talk about many of those specifically because we haven't got them completely firmed up and affidavits signed in some cases and folks who we believe they may know more than than they have, uh, than they've ever said before you you, you uh, it's, it's worth mentioning you went and interviewed uh, andres muscaro in prison tell us about that yeah that was a great uh visit with andres it was the four of us our translator paulina went with us and we visited with andres for about two hours and you know he didn't even know that we were coming at all which i liked uh because we sort of caught him off guard and we were able to ask a whole lot of our questions without him being prepared to give us the answers one thing that's critical for us in our investigations is to really grill the person who's been convicted of this crime. So we were able to do that with Andres, and it really became clear that he had no involvement in this crime. It became clear why he gave the quote-unquote confession that he gave. Everything that he said, we felt good about how he was saying it, and what he was saying and what he wasn't saying that led us to believe that he's being absolutely truthful. So it was a, it was a great visit to finally be able to meet him face to face and spend some time with him. Our full, that was in uh, January of this year. And our full intention was to be back down there 
pretty quickly and then the pandemic hit so we have not been able to mm. sit in front of him since january yeah there's a lockdown on um prisons because obviously there's been a coronavirus infections in in prisons all across the u.s you can't actually go and meet with an inmate in person it's fair to say without giving too much away you've been back to houston and met people mm -hmm. uh, i think also without giving too much away that you are trying to find out if there is dna available in this case as well and there are other avenues that you're looking into as well so it's very exciting that, that, obviously i know correct. more than i'm letting on but um. yeah yeah and and you always hate to be cagey with with listeners and everything and, and we're you know it's important for people to know that we're not doing that just for the sake of withholding information but there's some legal maneuverings and things like that that it's important for us to not get too specific with some of those things going on but they are exciting developments that that we're chasing down john this has been brilliant I really appreciate you sitting down and chatting to me. I know I had to get you out of bed, which is always difficult for you. <laughs> you know, I sleep till 2 p.m. Your... <laughs> every day, right? <laughs> but no, I always, it's always, always a pleasure, <laughs> Alex. I'm always happy to talk about this stuff and, and educate people on this stuff. Even with even with a guy like you, I'll sit down and talk with a guy like you. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to that beer and a hike soon. This episode of Huddled Masses is sponsored by Fight Camp. Fight Camp brings the boxing gym right to your home with a mix of cardio and conditioning for a full body workout. Fight Camp is made for beginners to experienced boxers who want to box from home with new content being released weekly from easy to advanced. And it comes with all the gear you need to box at home, including a freestanding punching bag, boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and their unique punch tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and stats on any iOS device. Fight Camp is one of the only home workouts that are safe for kids to do because there are no heavy weights or spinning wheels and the app comes with over 600 workouts and tutorials and you learn from six highly qualified trainers all with real fight experience so fight camp uses new technology that tracks each punch you throw to measure speed volume and output so you can follow your progress push yourself and compete on the community leaderboard and fight camp offers financing so you can pay over 24 months and get your new gym now and fight camp offers a 30-day money-back guarantee so give fight camp a try and within 30 days, if you don't love it, send it back and get a full refund. To get free shipping on Fight Camp, go to joinfightcamp.com slash masses. That's joinfightcamp.com slash masses. Oh, that was so nice of John to give up his time there. Always great to hear from him. And they're just doing some fantastic work. Also, that um, little primer into what's going on with Diamantina and Andres was great as well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, it, there's, I, like like we said, the, the pandemic has meant that the, the investigation into the Diamantina, Colajaco and Andres Mascaro case is sort of, you know, at, at running at a slow pace. But there is stuff happening. So, you know, I like I said, I, I jump on these calls with them each week and sort of keep up to date with everything. And it is exciting that, that you know, you only have to go to the Proclaimed Justice website, see it's one of the priority cases for them. Um, and I'm just hoping that, you know, there are some big developments in uh, 2021. As you said at the beginning, people have been getting in touch, wondering how they can help with people who've been wrongly convicted and are either in prison for life or on death row. So should we have a bit of a chat about that? Is there any particular case that 
you would like to flag up? Maybe one that John has mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, proclaimed justice. When they accept a case, they take on all the costs related to winning freedom for their clients. So that includes hiring lawyers and investigators and paying for all the testing experts. It's not cheap and they rely on donations. So um, on the website, and again, this is, I think it's important to remember this is like a sort of microcosm of, there are a lot of all these these organizations that do this. There are uh, projects at law schools. You, you'll remember from Dead Man Talking, we actually got in touch with the law school that helped us look into the Mascaro case in more detail. So, you know, Proclaim Justice is just one, um, but they do, they do flag up those certain cases that they take on after doing extensive research into them and seeing what the sort of potential is for a positive outcome in that case and, and whether there's and a very strong case of, of wrongful conviction. And you can look at these, these websites and see and go through these cases. One of them uh, that, that I, th- I find sort of profoundly disturbing is this, this one of um, uh, Nikki Zinger and her boyfriend Daniel Richard. This is on the Proclaimed Justice website. In 1991, Linda Holly was found dead in her home from stab wounds and blows to the head. And soon after, her daughter, Nikki Zinger, and her boyfriend Daniel Richard were arrested for the murder. And they were found guilty at a later trial of killing her and staging this burglary to, to collect two life insurance policies. And they were sentenced to life in prison. Now, they've spent more than two decades in prison. And now the Arkansas Parole Board's recommended that the governor reduce their prison sentence. But Zinger and Risha say that DNA proves their innocence. Uh, they shouldn't just have their sentence re- sentences reduced. They are, they are innocent of the crime. And Proclaim Justice took up the case and say detectives failed to investigate a possible connection to a very similar crime that happened five days later, just a few miles down the road. So these are very profound cases that, that you know, organizations like Proclaim Justice spend a lot of money and time um, investigating and doing deep dives into and finding new witnesses and, you know, re-interviewing old witnesses. And, you know, a lot of the times they're exposing sort of problems with the judicial system, problems with um, police interviews and sort of coercion and all sorts of all sorts of disturbing stuff, you know. If people want to find out more about Nikki Zinger and Daniel Risha, Proclaim Justice website would be the, the place to go, I imagine. Yep, and that's just um, proclaimjustice.org. And you can also read up about the Andres Mascaro and Diamantina Colahaco case on there as well. Well, that's it then, I think, for this series, Alex. Um, been a pleasure. I hope listeners have been sort of inspired by these stories. I know I have. We'll be back in 2021. So watch this space. And I think in the meantime, if you want to, you can follow us on Twitter. We've got a new Twitter handle, at Huddled Podcast, H-U-D-D-L-E-D Podcast. And please keep in touch. We read all our messages. You can also email us at huddledpodcast at gmail.com, you know, just to say hi and Happy holidays, or... Uh, I didn't even know you'd set those up. <laughs> I have. Yes, we're supposed to do everything by committee, <laughs> Alex. This this is unacceptable. And also, you know, if there are any cases out there that people have come across um, that, you know, that they find disturbing or needing sort of someone to look into, let us know. Alex will be waiting for your messages. I won't because <laughs> I don't have the login details because he's, he's set them up <laughs> without my knowledge. <laughs> All right, Al. Well, that is very much enough for now. Thank you for your work on this series. Thank you for your work, Pete. All right, give me some credits. The Innocence is presented by me, Alex Hannaford, and the producer and sound engineer is my old pal, Pete Sale. Our theme music is I Shall Be Released by Polly Niles, courtesy of Cherry Red Records. And thanks again to John Hardin, 
for today's interview and to Proclaim Justice. That's proclaimjustice.org if you want to check them out on the web. Thanks also to Will Frankham, Delia Perez-Meyer, Kristin Hooley-Quayar for their advice and introductions throughout the series. And thanks to Stuart Last, Brendan Regan and all the staff at Audio Boom. And of course, all the exonerees who gave up their time and told us their stories. The Innocence is a DMT media production for Audio Boom. They say everything can be replaced. They say every distance is not near. So I remember everything of every man who 